0: Thank you for joining us. We have recently recorded three episodes to share with you in the hopes that they assist with some tricky but essential topics. At least you get to listen to these at leisure and in your own comfortable choice of setting. Our three episodes cover getting your affairs in order, what can we do about affairs when somebody is dying, and what to do when somebody has died. My name is Sarah Dodd, and I'm Head of Legacies at Dorothy House. Each year, one in five of our patients is cared for with thanks to gifts left in wills, and this is why legacies are so important to us. Today, I'm very privileged to be joined by David Hill, who is a partner in the private client team at Mergers Druid. Welcome, Dave.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Uh, yes, thank you. I, so I'm a partner in the Bath office. Uh, we cover Bath, Wells and Sherbourne. Um, I've been with uh, Mergers Druitt for 20 years, which seems a very long time, um, but um, we've had a long uh, uh, and good relationship with Dark House throughout that time.
0: Today, we're going to tackle lasting powers of attorney, how they work, and if we actually need them. David has had years of experience dealing with these documents, and also what happens if you don't have them in place and they actually are needed. So, Dave, what are LPAs and how do they work? And is
1: there only one type? Uh, so LPA, lasting power of attorney, is um, it's a document that was created by the courts quite a few years ago now, 2007, and they replaced enduring powers of attorney. Um, so there are two types of lasting power of attorney now. One deals with finances and one deals with you as a person. It's called a health and welfare uh, power of attorney. Uh, so... It's something we need to create ourselves. We make the choice of creating um, and we appoint attorneys to look after our affairs if and when necessary. Uh, and the types, the two different types of power of attorney work in different ways because they deal with, with different things.
0: And when you're talking about an attorney in this context, you're not talking about a lawyer attorney.
1: You're talking about something different. No, no, it's, it's not like LA Law where, where you're appointing a, a legal a, a, a lawyer to deal with it, you're appointing, it can be a family member, it can be a professional, it can be a, a mixture of the two. And it's one of those things where I think you you need to make an honest choice about who's best to do it. More often than not, it is it's family members and that's absolutely fine. Um, but we all have our own skill sets and you might appoint someone to be an attorney for your health and welfare, but they might not be the most appropriate to deal with finances. Um, so, it's a completely open field, you you choose who you want and that's part of the reason why these documents were created by the courts, Is so you have that choice, uh, it's not something that's imposed on you and that's good because you were really only going to appoint someone that you trust and know that's going to be able to carry out that duty if and when they're needed to.
0: So, what I'm thinking is that it's kind of like fancy terms for somebody stepping into your shoes.
1: Absolutely right and again, you know, we... we we all have this feeling of we we know what would happen if needs be, but the reality is that that might not be the case. If I give an example, if you have a husband and wife and there's an illness or an accident which means that one of them can't manage their affairs just because they have a spouse doesn't give them automatic access to things like finances. So, um, you you know, if I go to the bank and say, something's happened and I need access to my wife's bank account, they'll say, that's very nice. But it's not your account, so you can't can't use it. Uh, And that's really what the power of attorney is. It, It opens doors in those circumstances because it confirms authority before it's needed. I think one of the easiest ways to to view it is like an insurance policy. You create it in the hope that it's never going to be needed, but if you need it, it needs to be in place beforehand. It's something you need to do in advance. Um, If if you don't have the capacity or if you have an illness or an accident, which means that you're not in a position to create the power of attorney, the simple answer is you, you can't do it.
0: So what do you do then?
1: Well, the fallback uh, option is to uh, apply to the Court of Protection for something called a deputyship order, which is a great term, and it doesn't mean to say that someone arrives on a horse with a star. Uh, it's, it's where the court appoints uh, uh, usually a family member to, to, to carry out the, the, the necessary actions for, to, to look after someone's affairs. But it's very cumbersome, it's very slow it's more expensive than the than, than lasting power of attorney. And it can be quite upsetting because even though the, the deputy is appointed, maybe a close family member or a spouse or a child, uh, they have to ask the court before they can do anything. And you're asking in those circumstances, something someone that you've never met and who's never met your family member for permission to do something. And um, uh, as you can imagine, number one, that's not very quick. Uh, It can be quite upsetting to have to explain yourself and explain what's needed. Uh, It's good that there is an option, but I would say it's a a last resort rather than a a first choice.
0: There were enduring powers of attorneys. Have those been completely replaced by these lasting powers of attorneys?
1: (sighs) Well, I'm going to give you a proper lawyer's answer now. Yes and no. Um, the, any power of any enduring power of attorney that was completed before September 2007 is still effective. Enduring powers of attorney really only covered uh, uh, finances. It never covered you as an individual. So any document that's created after September 2007 will be a lasting power of attorney for it to be effective. So we've got a bit of a two-tier system now um, where enjoying powers of attorney if they're completed back then and they were validly uh, signed and and, uh, and set up they are still usable um but from here on in it's lasting powers and of attorney
0: and what happens with sorry in the hospice let's put it this way there are often questions of i'd like to get a lasting power of attorney in place mm. but with an illness and medication capacity often comes into question mm. so what happens if there is no capacity, or a question on capacity,
1: I okay. well, think there's two two parts to so that. First is time, or one is timing, and one is capacity. So, with uh, with either of the powers of attorney, there is a capacity test. Uh, in effect, we need if if I'm going to create a power of attorney, I need to understand within reason what it is I'm doing. Um, I don't necessarily need to answer an exam question on it, but I do need to understand that if I'm signing a uh, a property and finance power of attorney, that I'm giving someone else the ability to manage my finances, and quite often that is all of my finances. So it could be uh, uh, um, that it's paying bills whilst I'm not in a position to do so, but it could mean that someone needs to sell my house for me. So it's it's, it's everything. and So it's, it's a very powerful document, it's a very important document, and that's why choice is important, but also ensuring that the person that's making it is doing it with full knowledge. So if there isn't capacity, or enough capacity to do it, then the, the, the deputy ship is the fallback. The other issue is, is, is timing. Uh, and if someone has a life limiting condition currently, and we're recording this in, in January 2022, um, there, there's quite significant backlogs with the section of the court which deals registering these powers of attorney. I think just explain that it's a two stage process. So the document's complete and it's signed. And then stage two, to bring the, the, to make the document valid, it goes through a registration process with the Office of the Public Guardian, which is a section of the court. That's a postal process, uh, and they, they simply check that the document's been correctly completed. They allow a cooling off period, which should be in the region of four or five weeks, and then it's registered in the Central Register of Lasting Powers of Attorney and stamped and sent back. Now, currently, we're seeing delays of up to three or four months in that registration process. And it needs to be registered before it can be used. Uh, so there, we do have a timing issue currently. We're hoping that that will, will, will gradually ease. But if you have someone with a life-limiting um, uh, uh, illness, uh, then there is another alternative, which isn't perfect, but it's, it, it can solve an interim problem, which is a general power of attorney, it's quite an old document or was created in, in, by an act in 1971 um, that can sometimes fill the gap the limit of that is if someone loses capacity then that power fails so again going back to a discussion that we had in a, on an earlier topic when we we're talking about wills yes you can do it when you absolutely have to but it's far better to do it beforehand and as i say the the the, the insurance policy analogy i think is probably the best one i can do You know, before I get in my car, I need to insure it in case I have an accident or I can't insure it after I've had an accident.
0: Absolutely. And with the time delay in the registration of the documents, would you suggest that they're registered as soon as you have completed them or can you put them away for a rainy day?
1: So as far as registration is concerned, I'm going to give you another lawyer's answer. It depends. Um, uh, I think the advice would be to get it registered. Uh, there's no reason not to, uh, and as I mentioned, there is a significant delay at the moment uh, in in the time frame between sending it to the the section of the court which deals with registration and getting it back. Bear in mind that if if the if the thinking is I'll get this registered when I need it, you're probably going to need it straight away, not in three months' time. So get it registered. Uh, at that point, I would suggest that the that the original documents are stored. Safely and securely, and again, you know, we offer those uh, safe storage facilities without any charge, for two reasons. Number one, you know where it is and it's available when when you need it. But number two, they are powerful documents. They give someone else the ability to, to manage all of your affairs. So you probably want to make sure it's only used either when you choose or when it's necessary.
0: And what happens if you had capacity at the time you signed it, but didn't register it? Can somebody else register it on your behalf once you've lost capacity?
1: Yes, you can. As long as you had capacity when you signed it, the registration okay. can take place after that, and your attorneys
0: can deal with that registration. Okay, that makes sense. And could is it something that I can do myself? Because I know there's a government website. Can I do the? Yes, you
1: can. The Office of the Public Guardian website has direct access for uh, for, for creation of powers of attorney, um, and that's good. Absolutely right that, that 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 we all have direct access to these things. So we we make a choice. Uh, we offer the service of, of creating powers of attorney. There's a part of the process is a uh, a certificate provider, which is which confirms that it's been created voluntarily without duress, that sort of thing, and explains the nature of the document. There is no reason why you can't do this yourself. Um, if there's any question of capacity, or if you've got any questions about how it could or should be used, that's where we might be helpful with some advice on that. Because it's not only the document that's the important part, it's understanding what it is you're creating. Generally we would always say it's a good idea, but if you've got any questions, get those cleared up before. So the advice is one part of the process of creating
0: the document and we're more than happy to to talk about that. that. That makes sense. I think that's given me a lot to think about. I wanted to ask you with the registration of the documents, I believe there's a statutory fee?
1: There is, the court charge 82 pounds for each document that's registered and that's, a, that's a, a standard court fee for each one.
0: Thank you, David, that's been really helpful. I think it's probably made more than me just think about things. Thank you again for spending the time and sharing your knowledge. I am going to point the listeners back to the Moja Street website or the Dighton House website for any questions or pick up the phone. Thank you for
1: the time. You're welcome. Uh, and as you said, if, if anyone's got any questions, we're always happy to answer.